My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. I am Iron Man. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Post-Credit Podcast. We took a week off last week, so this is our first new show in two weeks, and we have a really cool episode in store for you guys. I know I say that every week, but today, as Eric reminded me, today is our one-year anniversary Mm. of the Post-Credit Pod. Now, in for, for any listeners who have been here since the beginning, you'll remember we started this podcast as a DC retrospective leading into DC fandom. So it only makes sense that on our one-year anniversary, the opening weekend of the Suicide Squad, we return back to the DCEU to play what Eric has created, which I really love, the DC resume game. So we are going to kind of play... Hollywood president, and we're going to have the opportunity to make strategic decisions for DC. We're going to talk about our favorite characters and our least favorite characters, our upcoming projects, uh, how we rank the films. A lot of very interesting mental gymnastics are going to go on. And uh, I'm excited. I'm excited to bring it full circle with you, buddy. You know, speaking of full circle dates, you know that the Suicide Squad dropped exactly five years to the day that the first one did? The reason I know that is because a certain savvy media member and social media operator tweeted that out from the Post-Grad ah. podca- uh, podcast account, which would be you, my friend. But I found that, you know, you got to think that not on purpose, but the timing of that is pretty... Um... If nothing else, like cosmic justice. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a great word for it. I mean, <laughs> I'm assuming that if you're tuning into this podcast, you've seen it by now. We're not going to really dive into spoilers, but we are going to talk about the film a bit. You actually just saw it last night yeah, Brandon I, I saw I I, I saw it last week so uh and so be just, sure to check out Eric's great review on Bro Bible from last thanks, week pal. well I was just gonna lead you off in to yours why don't you kick us off with your thoughts on what you have as your number one DCEU film yeah so we'll get a little bit more into it when we get into the meat and potatoes of this episode but as a quick 30 second overview for my Suicide Squad thoughts I give it a really strong B plus it is the epitome of what an ensemble film should be in the sense that James Gunn has an uncanny ability to share the wealth give each moment each character a moment to shine unlike very few creators who really use ensemble as a lip service to focus on two or three people and everyone else's window dressing you know, the difference is James Gunn cares about every red shirt, even if they are destined for, for cannon fodder. And I think even beyond that, he is not so much trying to deconstruct the superhero blockbuster as he is working within that framework, within studio filmmaking framework to remix it entirely. Because this movie is about as gonzo and uncorked as I've ever seen, particularly uh, culminating in a just stellar third act. I think probably one of the best third acts for a recent blockbuster in in the last few years. And while doing all that, this lavish stylization, this hyper-violent, you know, gore and guts, this hilarious banter, he still manages to find time and space to organically have this movie say something about U.S. imperialism and jingoistic kind of foreign policy and, and a lot of com- political commentary that's baked into also organic character arcs. So I-, I just think James Gunn is a really impressive filmmaker. That's not to say the film isn't perfect. And I wrote about it for Observer about what I loved and what I didn't. There's definitely a lot of flaws, but 
man, just a just a damn good blockbuster yeah. superhero movie. Yeah, yeah. you uh, I, I think you nailed the third act thing. That was actually one of the main points that I put out when I tweeted my thoughts. Um, before that, you know, I'm I'm somebody that I need a plot to sink my teeth into. So for the first two acts, I was having a great time. It's hard for me to really commit to saying, oh, I love this if I'm not engaged with the story. Because at the end of the day, this is a storytelling format, right? That, that, yeah, that's, the plot is a log line here. You're, you're right that there is none. Yeah. So, but once that plot does get, but the reason that James Gunn is able to get away with that is because the performances are so great. You're having so much fun just hanging out with these characters, doing what they do, that, it, that the lack of sort of propulsive plot <laughs> is excusable and then when it does finally kicks in it elevates everything right. you know, like a rising tide lifts all boats type thing but really what i want to focus in more so than the film is is james gunn and i think this sort of goes under the radar about gunn because of because of his admittedly like stylistic way of doing things everything's bright flashy colors pop songs galore but i think what james gunn understands more than anything is he knows what makes a good film is a good script, yeah, right? And for and, sure. And when we talk about the third act stuff, right? Yes, he's in a very eccentric filmmaker, but the Suicide Squad is almost an aggressively formulaic film. Not in terms of structure, but in terms of character arcs, i.e., Bloodsport's whole arc, right? The callbacks to Chekhov's tiny bullet. Um or Waller, quote-unquote, turning him into a leader, or him conquering his fear of rats, or his daughter being like, that's my dad. All of these sort of third-act payoffs are in the script. James Gunn could flash it, make it look as bright and as fun as he wants, but this is traditional character development, and that is what makes James Gunn's film so special because your brain is expecting, when you look at both Guardians and this film, it's a group of outcasts. Oh, yeah. He, are, he loves himself some misfits. You are, by definition, not supposed to care about these guys. But through, what's the right word here? I guess loving, delicate character arc creation, he's able to then sell you on these characters as ones worth engaging with. And that is what makes his films so enjoyable. The fact that he could coax a tear out of you with a character named Ratcatcher <laughs> is unbelievable. So, and then all of that, of course, balanced with his subversive and sharp wit creates this concoction of just both subverting your expectations of what a comic book film should be, but also leaning into the traditional ways to build up heroes. That is his MO. He's taking outsiders and making them insiders through traditional storytelling. And that to me is the most impressive thing that every single character in every film that he's made or that, that I've seen so far, regardless of how off the grid they are, from Drax to Groot to Bloodsport to Quinn, you care about all of them. And that is an amazing, amazing feat. He has a deep affection and empathy for the weirdos of the superhero realm and uses that to pull the audience into an unexpected heartstring of emotions. You yeah. know, he is adept at turning something silly and stupid into hilarious live wire and emotionally affecting and it's not always the case with a lot of these films particularly the vanilla generic middle of the road formulaic by the numbers 
uh, uh, avalanche of crap that we have seen. And to speak of, you know, when they first dropped the first trailer for this, you and I were worried. Yeah. Yeah, we were. You but know, I, I, I think uh, deliberately. I think, oh, I was going to say, uh, that's because gun strengths are tough to translate to a two-minute-long commercial. Particularly one that, for the most part, because there obviously are red band trailers, but the ones that really need to play on all formats, you know, the PG-13 trailers, and you see a deliberate unleashing in the actual film, and you're like, oh, this is probably why I didn't totally love the trailers. And as you said previously, the one for the trailer for Guardians, the first one, wasn't great. And that wasn't an R-rated thing. But like you said, it's hard to synthesize what he does well in a quick-hitting trailer. Now, I don't know if you want to save this for later when we're playing our game, but DC Films have confirmed that he's going to be back. They didn't say for what or when, but they said that they've got some stuff in the works. If not, if you don't have an idea, you could share what your guess may be. But what, what do you hope he does next for them? I don't know what he hope he does. I'm, I'm glad that he's doing everything. I, I have a little bit of, of a point on it later that I want to touch on. Okay. I do know that he pitched them or at least was thinking about doing a crypto movie, which is crypto uh, Superman's dog, right. where, it, where his dog is just wreaking havoc and Superman's on the periphery, like trying to find the dog. That sounds dumb as fuck. But would I want to see like an animated HBO Max, like hour long special of that? Like, yes, obviously. So my point really is just let Gunn do whatever he wants. And I trust that it will be at least passably entertaining at worst. And if not amazing at best. Right. I don't have a clue really what he's going to do next. I will say that Bloodsport is one of my favorite DCEU characters so far. Uh, I think and just quickly, I want to say like Idris Elba wasted in the Thor movies as Heimdall finally getting like his his proper superhero come ups. Yeah, he I mean, and he's a huge part of it. Also, I just thought the character's powers and his suit were I mean, that's what they are in the comics. But the way that James Gunn rendered it and made it like look and feel was just so fucking dope. I, really cool. Not to say that I'm bummed about Peacemaker being the character that he chose to spin off. I just would have rather it been Bloodsport. Like Bloodsport in his helmet and a sleeveless white, you know, wife beater t-shirt is like an immediately iconic image because it at once combines the inherent silliness of comic accuracy with the real world, uh, you know, eye roll of like, this is so dumb that we just have adults running around in these ridiculous costumes. It's the perfect balance that Gunn certainly did uh, on purpose. And I think this movie doesn't necessarily leave you with a ton of lasting imagery, but that is a, a thing that I have in my mind forever now. For sure. Yeah, yeah. All right. What about Free Guy quickly? The new Ryan Reynolds video game feature that is coming up in a couple, uh, I think in a week, right? Yeah. It comes out next week. Yeah. Next Friday, I believe. So actually I have a funny story about this. So you went to see it on Monday at two. I went yeah. to see it Monday at seven. We should have and, coordinated better. And you tweeted uh, like, I, like I never fail to get on the wrong train. Right. And, yeah. and you were going to the uptown AMC, right? Correct. So I read that tweet and I think to myself, what a fucking moron this guy is. Like I've taken that, like I've taken that trade dozens of times, you know, it says uptown, downtown. It's very easy. In my defense, I was coming from an unfamiliar place in, in New Jersey. Okay. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. I wasn't, I was taking the same route I take every time. And I literally have never gotten lost before ever. 
And maybe it was because, I don't know, I might have hit the bong a little too hard before I left the crib. But it was karma. You were talking shit about me. On my way out, not only did I lock my keys in my crib, so I was kind of late. So I had to, like, go down to the front desk, ask them to let me back in my crib, grab my keys, leave. But as I'm catching the train at 34th Street, I, I'm trying to go uptown from 34th to 72nd. I, I get on the downtown doesn't even register until I'm at the next stop and I see 14 and I'm like, hmm, 14 is less than 34. <laughs> and I get off the train and like, I'm a generally affable guy, but when I get angry, I get so fucking mad and I would have gotten mad, but this was a circumstance, but like, I couldn't help but laugh at the irony of like my dumbass talking shit about you in my own head. <laughs> and then literally hours later doing the exact same thing. I like generally love everything about that story. And I'm so glad you told me. Unbelievable. So we're both morons. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the, the did moral that, story. Did that. What's, it's funny too, that we both were basically rushing to make it to our free guy screenings. Yeah, exactly. I know. Did it impact your opinion on the movie at all? And what's absurd is the screening wasn't until seven o'clock. Like I had all fucking day to get there. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I stop at this dive bar up a few blocks. It's, it's called... Uh, Malakis. I mean, this place is just dark in like the literal sense of the word and just like the conversational sense. I sat down, <laughs> I sat down last night in no less than 90 seconds. A group of four older men next to me bring up both Vietnam and the Holy vaccine shit. in the same conversation. <laughs> okay, so this is like an entire vibe, this bar. Oh, yeah. So uh, did it impact my viewing? No. I mean, free guy was, and this is not the word that I thought I would use to describe it, but it was fucking adorable. Like it was super sweet and well-intentioned and fun. And it's humor is coming from a place of genuine earnestness and not jaded cynicism, which is sort of the same thing that people have spent the last year praising Ted Lasso for. So it's got a lot of that sort of good vibery to it now i know that you're not as much of a gamer as i am no not at all but like the realization like the world realization of what it would be like to live in a video game was unbelievable like i'm pretty sure i spotted a character changing the color of their car in the background like a car drove by and i was either tripping balls or it wasn't meant to be in there but i could have swore i saw a car change colors i'm like the attention to detail because like the conceit is that a player at home is driving around and like, oh, you know what? Right. I want my car to be blue instead. Just those little details, right? Give free guy such a lived in feel that it's, it, it is a, I don't want to give it too much praise for being a unique experience, but in terms of film, like video game filmmaking, it is like this side of Wreck-It Ralph. I've never sort of seen like a video game world so well realized now same thing with the Suicide Squad. I thought that the plot was a little bit thin. But again, like that's not something that you necessarily need in a film like this, especially with the pace of both the story. I don't think it was particularly long. And just Ryan Reynolds' general being. He always <laughs> seems like he's moving at a million miles an hour. So, And I was honestly surprised that I found it to be more of like a coming-of-age story about Guy than it was like 
this sort of big blockbuster IP blowout. Now, while there are a few cameos at the end that are like mind blowing, um, it's generally more focused on like, it's like a throwback action comedy where all they had was a cool premise, an A-list star and some heart, you know, back to the days of like, when you think like that is sort of what made Back to the Future so good, right? Great premise. It had a star and a star role and it was just full of fucking heart. And Free Guy has a lot of that going for it. I'm, I'm mostly aligned with you. I, I think it was shockingly kind-hearted and optimistic, as you mentioned, something I really liked. And I think it is funny enough for you to, you know, reach the, every ascending level that it goes for. Because, you know, Ryan Reynolds is always watchable on screen. Uh, I do think it's a bit of pop culture reference for porn. So your mileage may vary, but I do think it's less cringy in that regard than like the new space jam or ready player one. I actually think it's use of like, Hey, let me point at all the cool things that all the cool kids are always talking about is a little bit more natural and fitting. Uh, you know, I, I didn't love it. I think the movie slows down every time it gets away from the video game and starts kind of focusing either on the real world or a little bit of the, the romance going on. But this is a, a supr- pleasantly surprising, enjoyable movie that, that I liked, I had fun with. And it's an original movie. Yes, it curbs from every known kind of IP that we have. And it is within the video game framework, but it's not a, a known franchise or a known brand. So I, I like that. And I give it a little extra bonus point for that as well. So I, I didn't like it quite as much as you still liked it. Yeah, and our boy Ryan Reynolds at the time of this recording, my review of the film is the most recently retweeted thing on his page. Nice. To which I say, Ryan, come on the pod so we could talk about Waiting and Just Friends, your two best films. Yeah, come on, man. And I want to talk to you about Smoking Aces, which I love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, the three uh, the three most important films of his career, of course. Like, come on, Smoking Ryan. Aces, Just Friends, and Waiting. And, and we will buy bottles of gin and we will all drink while, while yes. we talk of your, no, of your I'm not, I, I am I am famously not a gin man. Oh, no, I hate gin. I can't I, I mean, can't drink it without gagging, but I, I will do it for Ryan Reynolds. The craziest girls I've ever dated, the one thing that they have in common is their favorite drink is gin. Never fails. Every single time. All right, let's move on to the news. Uh, we're going to do some of the current news. We're going to do some of the quick hitters that we missed last week. And then we will jump into our DC extravaganza. Starting off with the most important story of the last week or so, Scarlett Johansson is suing Disney over the hybrid release of Black Widow on Disney Plus Premier Access and and, uh, in theaters because she is saying that she was basically screwed out of a large sum of money that was going to be due to box office bonuses. Her lawsuit has reportedly uh, have having Emma Stone mulling her options after the release of Cruella. Emily Blunt is also reportedly considering her options with Jungle Cruise, though I don't think anything's to move forward there. And then outside of Disney, Gerard Butler is is debating what he should do about Greenland. So this is a potential See, that to me is so fucking ridiculous, though, because Greenland was seen by more people and Butler got good PR for it. And Greenland 2 is in the works because it was put on streaming. Sorry, I just wanted to. I just wanted to say that. Go ahead. I apologize. Yeah, listen. I think I think that's fair. It's just I think what it more encapsulate is the potential for other big name stars filing behind Scarlett Johansson and banding together to essentially demand a reevaluation 
of how talent is compensated in this new world in which there are hybrid releases, same day releases, all this crazy stuff that is no longer the very simple, very agreed upon uniform metric where everybody from talent, writer, director, agent, studio executive would know on a Friday night whether their film was going to be successful or not, you know, based on box office numbers. That was how it was as recently as 2010. And in the year since, it's, it's, it's an entire curveball being thrown in that is going 2020, to- 2020, you mean? No, I'm saying as recently as like, as like 2010, you know, that, that was, it. everybody agreed this is how a movie is successful. And in the last decade, we have slowly seen this formula ah, begin gotcha. to add more variables. And so it's, it's going to be really interesting because as we saw with Warner Brothers back in December, they announced that they were going day and date for 2021, which in a vacuum made sense given COVID and the uncertainties. The problem was that they didn't let any of their talent or creative partners know, which ultimately resulted in about $300 million total being paid out to a bunch of stars and other you know, production companies and whatnot to essentially buy out the back end. And Disney is refusing to do that with ScarJo, which sends an, a talent alienating message which is ridiculous because it is ultimately peanuts for a company with a market cap of $330 billion. So I think uh, there's, there's not a big surprise that Kevin Feige and Bob Iger are reportedly embarrassed and ashamed of what Bob Chappick is doing right now. Okay. Interesting to me is because this is way more your space than mine. Really, my main thought is that both sides look bad. Uh, I, I don't really have much else beyond that. Disney's response was <laughs> fucking wild. That's uh, the harshest public comment I've ever seen them give, ever. Yeah, so so is Chapek not going rogue, but he's only been in the role for, what, a year at this point? Like A year and some change. How, He's just take no shit. I mean, is that sort of what, what the route he's going down? He, he was elevated from parks and, and resorts, which is Disney's top revenue generating division in annual revenue. It makes up the bulk of their company. It's the most important one, but has nothing to do with talent relations, you know? And I think he is valuing the bottom line too harshly because this is not a good message to send to the industry. And I think it's going to have negative ripple effects. Yeah, I mean, it's still a relationship business too, to like ignore that aspect entirely. But, is... but not with Hollywood talent. And that is where it's, those relationships are far different than the relationships he's, he's curating with vendors and whatnot. Right, right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. So where do you think it goes from here? Uh, so the reason I don't think it looks bad for both sides, no, we should not be crying foul for a 10 a millionaire like Scarlett Johansson looking for more money, but talent should be compensated fairly. When, when your contract legally is like, hey, this has a, a connection to the box office and you do something to the release plan that is going to kneecap the box office, you got to make your talent feel whole. You have to essentially reach a middle ground financial compensation and and her getting screwed means that every one of the little guys under her is going right. to get screwed even worse. That's why it's so important. Not necessarily so she can tack on 10 million to her 20 million upfront salary. So this, this has the potential to maybe change the paradigm a little bit. Although we've been saying that in similar situations for years, and it's never quite reached the crescendo that talent needs to have a little bit more empowerment, like a you know, an NBA player forcing his way to a new team. But right. we'll, we'll, we'll see, because this is, this is an important story to continue covering for so many facets, whether it be the agents, the talent, or the studios. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited to see what happens. <laughs>
Uh, a new trailer for Venom Let There Be Carnage came out. The first trailer had its release date as September 24th, which it's been set for a while. This trailer, curiously, did not. So, you know, Clifford the Big Red Dog was just pulled by Paramount. Now Sony clearly has iffy feet about September Is that 24th. your read of it? You think that that's what's going on here? And yeah. You oh, yeah. I think Delta variant is absolutely getting everyone to question what the immediate future is. Because a little bit inside baseball here, I just got my Shang-Chi screener invite today. So they seem so Disney is going full steam forward for it does, uh, it does seem like that. Though I won't be surprised if in the next like two weeks they might announce, like, hey, we're actually gonna do Disney Plus Premiere Access for Shang-Chi too. Well, I don't know about that either, because for the first time since I've been on their screener list, no screener Digital links screener, yeah. are going out this time. Um, so Disney doesn't seem like, like they're going down the route. My venom point is that they rolled out the Twitter hashtag campaign that same day. And there is a staggered global release date. So part of me just thinks it was a miscommunication somewhere along the lines, but you don't seem too convinced. I, I don't know. You know, Delta variant is really, really caught. Like Disney pulled out of CinemaCon, other studio, which is late August. Other studios are right now talking about potentially pulling out as well. I just think we're at the precipice of another kerfuffle. God damn it. <laughs> another, another cascading bullshit. Like, listen, I hope it doesn't happen. Hey, guys, everyone out there, get vaccinated, wear your fucking masks, and, and we can get all these movies that we want. But I do have a feeling we are pushing up against another potential musical chairs situation. Shit, I hope not. What's funny is that because Broadway comes back next month too, or this month even. I don't know. But, yeah, I'm excited uh, for Broadway to come back. Um, what do you think about the trailer itself? I think the movie looks terrible, just like I thought the first one looked terrible. I actually think it weirdly looks better than the first one, though. I but, think they both just I because like, of Woody, though. Just because of Woody. I mean, I'm glad they gave him a fucking haircut from the the post credit scene in the in the first one, where I'm like, that guy ain't murdering anyone. Yeah. That guy's only murdering Pee Wee Herman. Nobody else. Um, but yeah, I just don't understand how these movies exist. I don't know why they exist. I'm telling you, and you had put this out in a tweet, and we'd been saying it for some time. If Spider-Man gets stuck in Sony's universe, man, that's just going to be bad news for fans all over the world because not only does, like, all jokes aside, tonally, thematically, his character would just feel so out of place in that world. So, his, his character, who is you know good, <laughs> in a like, hey, you want to hang out with? Listen, admittedly, I think Tom Hardy is entertaining in the role, but like having hit, you know, innocent, naive, sweet little Peter Parker with Eddie Brock, who's crazy, and just fucking Jared Leto's Morbius. It just doesn't play at all. Oh forgot about Morbius. Oh my God. How could you of all people that the leading Jared Leto hater? It's taken, about it's taken a lot of training. It's, it's taken a lot of training to just let your mind cleanse itself of all Leto. <laughs> oh God. All right. Elsewhere, Stranger Things 4 teaser came out. Netflix, uh, Netflix. Eric, you wrote an interesting question in our outline. Does Netflix franchise it? Well, it depends on what you mean, because they already have a video game, like a mobile video game for Netflix. Are you talking about spin uh, yeah. spinoffs and yeah. everything? Yes, because uh, they've been hinting for a while now that the fifth season will probably be the final. Um, 
dude, the actor who plays Lucas is going to be 20 in the fall. So, like, could they spin it off forward? Like, have them start playing, like, in their mid-20s? Could they do a whole new set of kids? You and I talk on the show a lot. You know, it's why they spent $400 million on Knives Out. Netflix is desperate for a franchise. Stranger Things is the closest they've come. It's one of the biggest pop cultural zeitgeist breaking shows out there. I don't, especially also on top of the fact of how well the Fear Street films have been doing, which are sort of tapping into the same nostalgia, sci-fi, horror vibe that this show has been. It's obviously a formula for them that works. You got to think, or maybe like a hopper, miniseries who knows but you got to think that stranger things the brand doesn't end after the final season despite how derided the episode was as it should have been i still think some sort of spinoff involving the other kids that have powers and the other people that were in the experiments with her when you know matthew modine's character was running it i bet something in that world gets a gets a spinoff maybe none of the same characters maybe they pop in once or twice but a new story in the Stranger Things universe. Yeah. Um, for sure. And I mean, the teaser was brief. We really just got a few cool looking shots. I mean, it, it didn't even give us a hard release date. It just said 2022, which they've been filming it for so long. I would assume that it would drop in Q1. But Stranger, but Stranger Things have ne- has never dropped in Q1. It's either been uh, Q2 Summer or, October, or, or right? you know, Q4 pretty much. So, you know, I don't know, but... They got to get the ball rolling because these kids are going to be laughably old soon. Like they, they might have to do a time jump because they already look like they're, you know, right. not kids. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's a good point. All right, let's move on to our quick hitters that we missed from last week. Michael B. Jordan has a Valzod Superman series in the works at HBO Max. Do you want to see him star in it too? Because right now he's not necessarily attached to star. I think he has to star in it. I agree. I, th- I think it's cool. I like, you know, I'm, I'm with it for sure. Yeah, I, I think I, and I think that his commitment to it is probably a little bit greater than they've let on so far. Yeah, I agree. It's very well said. And that dates back to when he was trying to get it off the ground in like 2017, 2018. Right. right. Uh, live action Pokemon Pokemon series is set up at Netflix. Pokemon, you yeah, motherfucker. Yeah, you're turning it you're into our dads, huh? Exactly. Uh, I was upset about this one because this is not any sort of horn tooting at all because I didn't get it across the finish line, but I was working on this scoop behind the scenes and then Variety just was like, nope, we got it. And I was like, damn it. Bastards. So yeah, I, I listen, I think the Pokemon, the live action Pokemon universe can still absolutely be a viable franchise. Uh-huh. Just not Detective Pikachu. <laughs> uh, Universal and Peacock are reaching a $400 million deal for a new Exorcist trilogy. We originally talked about it here on this pod. I broke the scoop on Observer that if, that David Gordon Green was making a new Exorcist movie. The news is that the two extra movies that might, after the first one's released in theaters, then debut on Peacock, potentially. And uh, Ellen Burstyn's going to return. Uh, Eric, I've, I've never been a huge horror guy never been a huge exorcist guy but but cool news for exorcist fans yeah sure. yeah whatever i mean i actually just watched the first one for the first time in this last year and uh i was like wow i get why horror films have been paying homage to this for 40 years at, at oh, this yeah. point Iconic. it's incredible it's aged incredibly like its effects are still kind of con- not convincing but like for how old it is and how 
technology has aged since. Like, it's so funny to see The Conjuring and all these films and then see that move and be like, oh, so these are all just knockoffs. Yeah, everyone's cribbing. Everyone. <laughs> uh, there's unconfirmed reports that Vincent D'Onofrio's Wilson Fisk may be reintroduced in Hawkeye. I'd obviously love that. I think he's one of the best elements of the uh, Netflix Marvel you know, universe. Neil Plum, Blum, I always get his name wrong. Blum Neil Blum, Blumkamp, yeah, gives the District 10 update saying the script continues to be written. It's looking good. It took a decade to figure out to come up with a reason why to make that film as opposed to just make a sequel. It's reportedly going to be a little bit more U.S. focused. Um, I don't know. We've been waiting for it so long. I feel like it never happens. I do feel like it's going to it's going to happen, but it's just more of like a have they missed their boat. His star power is not what it was. It sounds like it's going to be, uh, you know, just the fact that he's going to take shots at the U.S. makes it feel like he's going to get all fucking preachy on me, which I don't want to hear either. So we'll see. District 10 is one, one of my, I mean, nine is one of my favorite sci-fi films of all time. So I would love to see it. Yeah, it's a good one. Uh, unconfirmed reports that Marvel Studios has nine unannounced Disney Oof. Plus shows at various stages of development, including Ghost Rider, Nova, and Secret Warriors. I mean, who knows if that is true? It makes sense on paper. Yeah. Uh, now this week, well, I mean, yeah. Then Thunderbolt seems way more tangible than those, you know, yeah. because we're literally been setting it up now in two different projects. Right. Uh, this week's quick hitters. Like you said, Stranger Things 4 in dropping in 2022. We got our first set photos of Christian Bale on Thor Love and Thunder, which was leaked. And you had a very funny take on it for Bro Bible. Oh, well, I was just saying, like, the fact that they got him to dress up like this, like, you got to assume that this character is going to be fucking sick because Bale looks ridiculous. Yes, I get that it was like a grainy photo taken from half a football field away, probably, but this is a dude who turned down $50 million to play Batman, okay? So the fact that they've got him on board in fucking Thor 4, A, speaks to the power of Taika Waititi, but, and then on top of that, the character he offered him must have been so fucking sick. I mean, you don't call someone Gore the, the God Killer without killing some gods, well, right? Well, you have a great theory on how he's going to earn his yeah, name in that and one. He's going to kill Russell Crowe's, you know, character. Zeus. Yeah, Zeus, right right away. I mean, listen, you just you just don't bring someone on and name them that way unless they live up to the title. Yeah. It's just that simple. Yeah. Uh, season two of The Bad Batch has been confirmed. You know, I, I honestly have fallen off with The Bad Batch, but I'm, I'm happy for Star Wars fans. Same, and, they, and fans seem to really enjoy it, so. We got to get back on it. Uh, South Park creators Trey Parker and Matt Stone have inked a $900 million deal with Viacom CBS for six more seasons of South Park and 14, 14 South Park movies for Paramount+. Plus. That's a, that's a lot. I don't know what to make of it because South Park is certainly not the cultural titan it was five, ten years ago. Still Comedy Central's most watched show, though. But what does that really mean? Like, it, relatively, you know? Like, I, okay, but... Uh, do people still talk about South Park like they did when we were growing up? I don't think so. No, but I, I still think it's a it's a notable brand. And listen, I, I have no idea. If it it's also tells me that they. Worth. It also tells me that low key they. They have a faith in their ideas for films. Yeah. Because that would that Brit. Because what I've read is that it's going to be like franchise expanding films. Like these aren't all going to star the four main kids. It's going to flesh out. The, I mean, I can't believe we're saying this about Star. I mean, not Star Wars, but. That's like the Star yeah. Warsization of South exactly. Park. Like, you know, it's just insane. All, all I know is if the South Park guys, you know, again, a, a, a show that I've ultimately loved, even if I've fallen off on it, 
if they can get $900 million, do you think the Rick and Morty guys are just licking their fucking oh. chops? Because <laughs> yeah, I'm right. sorry, if South Park gets $900 million, then then Dan Harmon and Justin Roiland are worth like $1.5 or something like that, <laughs> yeah. you know? Uh, Apple TV is in talks to land Matthew Vaughn's Argyle movie, which is his attempt at making a $200 million kind of James Bond contemporary that's not Kingsman. Which you broke. Yeah, which which I, I definitely broke part of that story for sure. And, and you guys can check that out on Observer. Uh, like you said, James Gunn returning for another DC project. We don't know what, but Walter Hamada said they've had talks and it's definitely in the works. We'll probably get a little bit more on that a little bit later. Um, Brendan Fraser has been ca- cast in Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon. You and I have long been on the Fraser comeback bandwagon. The Brendan Sons? Yeah, Brendan Sons. And then everyone on Twitter is like, anyone who's saying he's on a comeback hasn't been watching Doom Patrol. I'm like, well, you know what? He's not even in the suit on Doom Patrol. It's just yeah, his voice. Yeah, he's just a it's, voice role. You yeah, can't count that shit. I mean, you can, but like, this feels far more tangible and, more, and well, much and more po- integral to the comeback. He popped up in No Sudden Moves. He's, yeah, of, he course starring, he's of course starring in Darren Aronofsky's The Whale, which sounds awesome. Sure is going to be a difficult, difficult watch, but oh, hey. Yeah. You know, Killers of the Flower Moon, great cast, man. Plemons, him, Leo, De Niro. I'm excited for that one. Oh, yeah, for sure. Plemons in a starring role in that film alongside those those actors is, is going to be amazing. It's, uh, it's, you know, it's Martin Scorsese. There's, there's a more than a good chance it's going to be a good movie. Yeah. Uh, Anya de Armas is blonde to the Maryland, bi- uh, Maryland, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, Maryland, keeping I'm keeping that in. I'm keeping that in. I'm keeping that in. Anya de Armas is blonde. The Maryland. First of all, it's blonde. Anna. First of all, it's Anna. Start over again. God damn. Anna de Armas is blonde. The Marilyn Monroe uh, biopic that she's been working on is rumored to be too sexually graphic for Netflix, and they are absolutely fighting with director Andrew Dominic to uh, get a new cut of the film, which he is refusing. This is the only release the blank cut campaign that I can get behind, and I want to see the sexually graphic one. Yeah, online I've seen a few funny hashtags. Like, of course, release the dominant cut, release the horny cut, release the bonk cut. Um, <laughs> Andrew Dominic is a guy who made a Western starring Brad Pitt as Jesse James. On paper, sounds like a hit, right? Made $18 million. But it, it's guy, a fantastic movie. This, But my point being, this guy doesn't give a fuck about commercial appeal. So for Netflix to be like what I've read, like caught off guard by the art house in the nature of the film is fucking insane to me. Like, how do you not see that coming? And on top of that, like you have, I understand that they want it to be an awards season player, but you have one of the businesses up and coming a list actresses playing one of the most famous American women of all time in a role that is apparently scandalous as fuck, right? Like it may not win awards at the Oscars, but that's the type of thing that'll win at like can, you know what I mean? So they got to pick and choose their battles here. I I don't see Dominic compromising on his vision. So this is going to be an interesting one to follow for sure. Very surprising to see Netflix caught off guard by something everyone else saw coming. (laughs) Uh, and then lastly, Amazon has dropped a first look photo for the Lord of the Rings TV show and dated its premiere as September 2nd, 2022. 
which means 13 more months until this show comes out, which we've been waiting for since like 2018 at this point. It's I tell you though, man, in terms of first looks go. It was cool, but I, it's like, it's hard for me to judge based on one still photo. Usually, yes, that usually, but I think that this photo was particularly striking just in terms of like giving you a sense of the scope and the scale of what the show is going to be. Well, that will do it for the news, Eric. We're going to move in to, drum roll please, DCEU, the resume game. This is something Eric came up with that I really like. Eric and I are going to be basically applying to become the head of DC Films. And in order to do so, we're building out our resume, trying to prove our credentials by showing a knowledge of the past and a plan for the future. So what does that entail? That means ranking the DCEU movies, favorite DCEU character and least favorite, project we're most looking forward to and least looking forward to, three DCEU projects we think DWB should start actively developing, a director we want DCEU to hire and pairing them with a project. We're gonna kind of write a cover letter with a new DC uh, film's thesis statement to further differentiate them from Marvel and Sony and all that good stuff. And then we're going to be hired as D- president of DC Films, and we're going to start in implementing three immediate plans. So it is, it's basically our pitch for ourselves. Yeah. So we are going to start now with our DCEU ranking. Eric, please take it away. All right. So, and it's close. It really is. I'm edging Man of Steel first because, uh, and it's close because I just rewatched the Suicide Squad this morning and it's a emotional film, but just the grandness of the emotion of Man of Steel edges out for me just slightly. Uh, even though the Suicide Squad is probably a better movie, uh, which leads me to next, the Suicide Squad at two, um, James Gunn crushed it. I mean, just crushed it. We talked about it at the top. No need to delve now. Wonder Woman 1, I think of, it's probably the DCEU's most important movie. Uh, it, it, it righted the ship at the time that they desperately needed, even though the ship would go on to sink in just a few short months. Uh, and it gave us Gal Gadot doing Gal Gadot things. Uh, four, I'm going with Batman v Superman. I think that the d- director's cut is definitely an upgrade and more so for me, there's a lot of bones that I like. So it's got my favorite Batman fight scene. I think Ben Affleck's Batman was widely thought of to be a hit. Uh, just the sheer emotion of seeing those two Titans on the screen together for the first time is something that regardless of how ultimately you enjoyed the film for a, a comic book fan like us. That was a fucking moment. Five, I'm going with Zack Snyder's Justice League. Six, I'm going with Birds of Prey. Seven, Shazam. Then Aquaman. Then 50 Feet of Crap. <laughs> then Wonder Woman 1984, which is only barely ahead of Suicide Squad because Gal Gadot is in it. Then finally, we dip below the seventh circle of hell. And in last place, we find Justice League. I think that's pretty fair. Our, ours differ after the, the top tier, but I think it's fair. I'm going with Suicide Squad, not the Suicide Squad, number one. <laughs> number two, Man of Steel. Number three, Wonder Woman. Number four, Shazam. Number five, Birds of Prey. Number six, Zack Snyder Justice League. Number seven, Batman v Superman. Number eight, Aquaman. Number nine, Suicide Squad. Number 10, Wonder Woman 1984. Number 11, Theatrical Justice League. So, you know, once we get out of the top three or so, yours and I start to differ, but we do have a lot of the same opinions regardless. 
So I detailed why I kept Men of Steel in first. What uh, pushed you over the edge? I still have rankings. I still have a lot of problems with you know some of the third act shenanigans of Man of Steel. I still have a lot of problems with what I consider to be a mischaracterization of Superman. I still have a ton of problems with Jonathan Kent's death, which is the dumbest death in <laughs> contemporary blockbuster movie making, <laughs> and completely undercuts any. Uh, character and narrative development it's trying to impart on Clark Kent's journey. It is just absurd. So, you know, it's supposed to be a turning point. And really, it's just a punchline to me. So, you know, all that keeps it from, from being number number one for me with the introduction of the Suicide Squad, which is not a perfect movie either. It has its flaws. I gave it, like I said, a, a B plus. You know, none of these to me are really in A range. But, uh, you know, I still, for the most part, I, I very much enjoy The Suicide Squad. I like Man of Steel despite its flaws. I enjoy Wonder Woman. I, I really get a kick out of Shazam. I think Birds of Prey starts to fall apart at, at certain times, but is, you know, wildly kind of irreverent. And Zack Snyder's Justice League is, is fine to me. As, as we said, I was pleasantly surprised. And then from there, you get into some seriously flawed ones, you know? You know- like BVS, I love the first 40 minutes. And after that, I'm like, holy shit, this is bad. If uh, if you don't count Wonder Woman 84, they really haven't had a stinker since Justice League. So, But I do count Wonder Woman 1984. I know, I know, I know. Do we think that this is a truly change of course? Have they righted the ship or is this just a false dawn? I think because they aren't operating under the same tightly controlled producer driven assembly line model as Marvel, which raises the floor and occasionally lowers the sequel uh, ceiling. ceiling. I believe there's more variance for DCEU now and moving forward. You know, I think we're going to get some great ones. I think we're probably going to get a couple, couple clunkers in there, but I do think we're on the path where we finally reached a point where DC isn't an automatic punchline where it isn't this, convoluted mess where it isn't this un- consistent underperformance every single time out. Uh, I think we're at a, at a point where fans can have some some more deserved and earned optimism. Same. The key is going to be next year. Next year, they've got four films coming out off the top of my dome. I believe it's Aquaman 2, The Flash, Black Adam, and... Um... The Batman outside of DCEU. Though. Oh, and the Batman. <laughs> Yeah, that that's you know, but that's its own pod, you know, because yeah. it, because it's not in the DCU, and because that has all the makings of not well, just a as, good blockbuster, but a good film. But because we're applying to be president of DC Films, those films still fall under our work, our title. All right, so that is how our rankings go. So you have a little bit of an understanding of where Eric and I are coming from and where we kind of diverge in terms of critical opinion. That's why I think these next couple categories will be interesting. Eric, your favorite and your least favorite DCEU character. So I feel like I'm simply obliged to take Ben's Batman. I mean, I don't really know. I think I've sort of painted myself into a corner on this one. Uh, But I'm hoping that next year that title will hopefully be claimed by Robert Pattinson's Batman, because as we said, while it's not technically in the DCU continuity, I just think of the DCU as all the DC films. Back to Ben, I mean, he was largely considered the best part of BVS. He united the Justice League, which in world is obviously very important. And he's still kicking around. He's going to be in the flash. And while at first, people thought he was going to pop up in the Flash as Bruce Wayne. It looks like he's going to suit up and do some Batmaning too. So he's still around. Um, 
we know Ben Affleck is cut right now based on all these photos with Jay Lowe. He, yeah. he looks like he's in shape. He's ready yeah. to go. And, you know, given the nature of the, the way that the DCU is right now, is his Batman career done? Probably. But can we rubber stamp it at this point? I don't think so. So I'm taking my boy, Ben. I also want to say uh, Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn, because I think Margot is probably one of the, I don't know, five biggest stars in the game these days, male or female. Um, and the fact that they got her playing like a pseudo anti-hero bad guy and she apparently loves it is <laughs> is like a DCEU miracle. Um, that really is one of the best things that they've done is that they were able to lock her down. And now Another she's great casting. Yeah. Uh, no lie. I really like Bloodsport, too. Uh, I would love to see more of him. I thought his powers were sick. I thought... I, I like that he was so weary, as if Idris Elba was even tired of showing up in these superhero blockbusters. And I thought that gave it such a great grounded feel, particularly when you remember he's talking to a CGI shark. Right. So his his exhaustion, his visible, like, oh, I'm over this shit, was great. Yeah, and you know, they don't tell you why he shot Superman with the... Dangling thread kryptonite bullet right exactly and he doesn't strike me as somebody who would just like do it for sport you know you know he had a good reason blood sport Uh, right (laughs) um and then i'm gonna just say maybe the rocks black adam we don't know you know the rock that this is a very interesting combo because black adam is as dark as the rock has ever gone you know we can't guarantee that at this point but the rock is usually playing a very baby-faced lead so to see him sort of go the anti-hero route could wind up being very cool least favorite i mean this one's a no-brainer uh it goes without saying it is jared leto's joker so on brand for both of your top choices yeah. uh-huh uh-huh i i try um that's funny as i've always said from the moment they dropped that first look and i was in college and i still remember this the moment they dropped that first look photo and i saw the damage tattoo i knew we were fucked we've been <laughs> fucked ever since and i'm still not over it so yeah, Jared Little's Joker. <laughs> All right, so my criteria for favorite, it is personal opinion mixed with a real world of idea of which character has not been forced to undergo like dramatic changes as a result of tumultuous movies and just an understanding of what like the future is and, and who is involved in that future. So for that reason, the answer to me was obviously Steppenwolf. No, I'm Fantastic. Kidding. I, I'm oh. kidding. Kidding. The most fully realized its character to me with the most depth and compelling thematic narratives surrounding them and the most consistency is Wonder Woman. Yes, before you argue, 1984, absolute shit show. Damaged the brand, terrible, no argument there. But I think her, her Captain American adjacent hope and optimism being dashed by the realities of humanity and now her journey through her own film on through the matter in modern day and Zack Snyder's Justice League, I think it's ripe for deeper analysis and it does set up a compelling future. Again, 1984 sucks, but with Henry Cavill presumably gone. Uh, Batfleck on the precipice of saying goodbye and frankly needing a Snyder cut to redeem his terrible theatrical performance. Mm -hmm. I'm going with Wonder Woman because I think she's the more kind of the most complete out of the remaining future centric trio. And I go with Harley Quinn as a close second. Do you see her having a future in the franchise beyond her own third film? Yeah, because there's no way they don't do eventually another sort of team up movie. Okay. It's too much money to be made. So absolutely I do. 
Now, least favorite, I, Eric, I think Joker makes a ton, a ton of sense in terms of raw awfulness because you're right. But I'm coming at this question from the macro perspective of who is someone in the DCEU that occupies a lot of screen time and has a future that has thus far failed to deliver. Not just like, you know, he was in eight minutes. So it's, it's hard for me to choose someone like that. And there I'm going with Ezra Miller as the Flash oh, and Barry Allen. Love now, Love it, love it. He is Fuck good for guy. a quip or two. Yeah, he's good for a quip or two, fine. But he, I think he was distractingly chaotic in theatrical Justice League. And when we did our Zack Snyder Justice League podcast, we Even talked though about- I do, I do like his arc in that, but go ahead. I, I like the, the Superman scene. Otherwise, I don't give a shit. But I, I think the extended running time of the Snyder Cut worked better for Cyborg and Aquaman and Wonder Woman. I think it actually further took away and detracted from Barry Allen as both a superhero outside of the effects of running, which was done well, and as a character whose relationships we're supposed to buy into. His meat cute is creepy. And frankly, his, his whole shtick with his dad gets a little bit grown worthy as it goes on in that extended cut. So... I, I just think it's someone I'm not super excited about. And as we've talked about as well, it's telling that the first image for the first ever Flash solo movie was a fucking Batman symbol. Like he's yeah. not even enough to prop up his own goddamn solo movie. When, when we talk about castings, you know, they've gotten quite a few right. But this one, you know, Ezra Miller's star has kind of been stuck in place, if not has regressed over the last few years. So agreed. Is there any chance that they use the Flash movie reboot to reboot the Flash character as well? I would be very impressed if WB managed to get Ezra Miller to agree to that. And like, we need you to star in this for like 75%. Yeah. He's like, he'd be like, no, I'm walking. So we're making this whole movie just to get rid of you. Like, yeah, I, 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 that would be the most impressive negotiating tactics if he was like, okay, I'll join. Yeah. All right. So now that we've gotten characters out of the way, what is the project you're most looking forward to and least looking forward to? All right. So since we just had a little bit of a debate of whether this is just DCEU main or all of their films, let's get out of the way that we're both very much looking forward to the Batman. Okay? You don't say. Yeah. So let's just, <laughs> so not counting that one, which is my most anticipated film of my adult lifetime. Um <laughs> Even more than The Dark Knight? I was a kid then. That's true. That's I was true. only I was only about... Uh, a wee little lad. Yeah, I was only about 15. Um, so I am looking forward to The Flash. Uh, we've said this a few times on this show. We're not expecting them to pull it off. But if they do, it could be very cool. With yes. the multiple Batmans yeah. and the Supergirl. And Flashpoint is one of the best comic books I've ever read. I know they're not adapting it word for word and beat for beat. But general ideas and themes are going to be cribbed. Um, you've got Keaton's Batman, which... I, I, like, I wasn't alive then, so I can't really put into context how big of a deal it is. But we all know that Batman 89 changed... Hollywood as is and so just to see him suit back up again is very very cool and while we have our problems with Ezra Miller I think the Flash character is a fun one I think he's got a very unique set of powers that allow that is conducive to a blockbuster like the like with his time travel and his super speed like these are powers that just are the makings of an awesome set piece I'm also looking forward to Black Adam I mean you know again yeah. the, the rock putting on a superhero cape for the first time in his career 
all goes well, that movie could flirt with a billion dollars. It's more of an anti-hero role. I'm not even going to try to pronounce his name. John Colette Sarah. Jungle Cruise didn't really sway me one way or the other in terms of his talent set. It wasn't a ringing, you know, like, oh, I can't wait for Black Adam's direction. Exactly. But just in terms of the character and the actor that they've got playing it, and that it's the first time that The Rock is taking on a role in it's the first time that the deck that the biggest movie star of the last decade is joining the genre that has defined the last decade. And that's a fucking huge deal. Well said, sir. Well said. And then least uh, Aquaman too. <laughs> All right. Sorry, Jason. <laughs> spoiler, spoiler alert. I have the same one for least. I'm, I don't care about Aquaman too. Sorry, James Wan. Even though I do actually think that that one will probably be better than the first one. Dude, did you see that photo of Yaha? Oh my God. No, I didn't see it. He's the size of two Yahas now. Wow, double Yaya. He's huge. Oh, Yaya. I think so, but I'm not sure. Huge. It's fucking fucking ridiculous. Yeah. I got to Google it. So for for most anticipated for me, I got a couple, you know, slightly less mainstream ones. I'm going with season three of Harley Quinn, which as I've said on this podcast many times and in writing, it is the single best piece of content produced by DC in the DCEU era. Right. So I just love it. I cannot wait. I'm super excited for Static Shock, which mm-hmm. I think can be the kind of Spider-Man of the DC uh, EU. And, you know, that's being produced by Michael B. Jordan as well. I like that he's getting more intimately involved, whether or not his Valzad project moves forward. I think that'll be a great thing. I also love the animated show. And then I'm also going to go with Constantine, a character who's really kind of risen up my rankings in the last five years as I rewatch Keanu Reeves' movie. Now, what, I, what do they have in the works for him, though? They have a HBO Max series in development. Okay, pro- okay. Produced by uh, Bad Robot. Okay, okay, sorry. Yeah, no, no. And, and that, so that's going to, you know, there's a, there's a ton of stuff that's like, hasn't been officially announced, but like reported by Variety right, or the Hollywood right, right, Reporter. Right. So I, you know, I, I've, I've kind of fallen in love with Matt Ryan's take on it as I've rewatched some of the live action stuff. And I think the, the character in um, DC animated universe has really won me over as well. So it's just kind of, you know, lush, limey, you know, a British guy who can't stop drinking, but like has intense power. It's just very cool to me, the whole vibe. And, and I, I like the multiversal dimension, Dr. Strange type shit going yeah, on. Yeah. 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 Um, I agree with all your points. I think in the DC animated world, he is great. Um, that just brings a new element that even it's more occult than yeah. Doc Strange. You know, yeah. like it hasn't well really said. been done yet. So if they could get there before Marvel and beat them to the punch, you know, they could have something fresh. The Constantine 2005 film, I used to call it my favorite. It's so bad it's good. But no, it's just unironically good public opinion has come around where I'm no longer allowed to say that because people now think of it as a good movie. So congrats to me. Um. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. He, he adds a, a, I know we're so fond of saying this, but it really is a darker element. It's a self-loathing piece of shit who drives away everyone who's ever cared about him, you know, and is dealing with literal demons. I, I just think, you know, we don't all need to be, happy-go-lucky superheroes. And, let's, that, let's get and some that's darkness why I love the dynamic between him and Bruce, right? They're, they're both always like, these fucking... And his romance with Zaytana, who is like a well-adjusted individual as he's this kind of slimy dirtball. Right, right. So I'm excited for that. 
All right, three DCU projects you think WB should start actively developing, Eric. This is where we get to be a little bit more creative and inventive. All right, so you're going to notice a theme about all of my responses to these. Uh, I would like to see a Deathstroke series on HBO Max. I think that that character, he almost had his time to shine in the DCEU, and I would have liked to see it. Of course, it didn't come to be, but I think that that character's skill set and his sort of mercenary warrior, not warrior monk type vibe, but he doesn't really like He's somebody who just like works for the highest bidder type thing. You know what I mean? Like, and his moral compass isn't necessarily shot. Like he has been portrayed as a anti-hero before. So I would love to see that character get his own shine. I want to see a- Also, frankly, you know, just to let me interject quickly. He's known as also a Teen Titans villain. I would be perfectly cool with like a grounded- Teen Titans versus, you know, Deathstroke, or at least Robin versus Deathstroke type situation. People are like, oh, no, they're the Kitty JV squad. I think that'd be cool. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And he he does cross paths with them quite a bunch. But I just think that that's sort of like, uh, like you know, you could send him out on a new mission every week and just have him do cool shit. Yeah. Uh, I want to see a Mr. Freeze origin story. Okay, a- yeah. A la Joker. I think that Freeze is, I mean, Freeze is a character that's largely thought of as a joke. Not a joke, but since Arnold and Batman and Robin and just the very nature of his power set. He's one of the more ridiculous Batman villains, but as Heart of Ice has showed us, yeah, you know, there's a real human story to tell there. And I think that doing doing that in a film would be better served than doing a show or something, because not only can you like I watched Pig this week and I was like, hire this guy to make a freeze movie. You know I'm going to try I mean? to watch that tomorrow. Really good. Really, really good. And I just think like the character study of a man so driven by lost love and turning to like a science that like is almost thematic of what he's going through. You know what I mean? Like he, like his wife is frozen in time. So now that's what he does to people. So I find that to be sort of this full circle arc that I really enjoy. And then finally a Batman beyond project. I'm not sure if I would want it to be a movie or a series. I think either could work. But I just think that we've gotten not similar Batman stories over the years because they have been different. But Batman Beyond would take the characters to someplace completely new entirely. So, Eric, I I cheated a little bit here because this category is three DCEU projects you think WB should start developing. And our next category is pairing a director with a project. I basically mix and match. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no, no. But I I use the director with a project to do two more ideas on top of these ideas. So I'm kind of throwing out a bunch in all in one sitting. It's a little bit of cheating. But to start, I agree with you. I think we should have a Batman Beyond project. I think assuming the multiverse works, which as we've said, huge if, and we'll have to revisit this after the flash a live action batman movie but not until 2024 2025 would be a nice icing on the cake for like the multi batman bonanza we've got going on i think that would be a lot of fun particularly because you can do some colorblind casting with uh terry mcginnis yes and now like the tech is there for it like 10 years ago 15 years ago you couldn't really do it like imagine Tim Burton's Gothic Gotham, but with like the neon a Blade, Blade Runner, Runner yeah, sort exactly. of futuristic. Yeah, that's gonna be a lot of fun. I think we need an elsewhere, uh, Elseworlds anthology. Now we know obviously Marvel's about to launch their own version with What If, but DC long has been famous for its non-canon experimentations in comics uh, over the ages. Now I think the DCAU takes care of a lot of a lot of that, like with a Red Sun. 
but I would love to get an official big platform rollout for this concept. So we can really have a lot of fun with mixing and matching a lot of kind of crazy elements that aren't necessarily canon, but borrow from the DCEU pedigree. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And then number three, new gods or something of that nature, because I think it was a mistake for them to cancel this feature because in my opinion, DC needs a cosmic and specifically off-world corner of their own universe because thus far every single movie or tv show has been extremely earthbound for the most part even though within that there's some crazy shenanigans going on i mean even justice league which which deepened the universal scope was very earth-centric so there are far-reaching corners of the cosmos ripe for this jack kirby-esque pop art explosion with new characters abilities worlds and themes and i think it's important for them to leave behind what we know to embrace what we can imagine. And that is something that is completely alien. And I think that'd be a lot of fun. But I feel like you're putting a lot of trust in the audience's taste for that sort of stuff. Like, is anyone clamoring for new gods? I think new gods would have been really cool. And I think it would have done well. I would like to see it continue in some form, but if not new gods, then something that is off world, something that expands the scope. Because I think as we've seen with Marvel and as we've just seen in general with a lot of space-based things, people love this kind of alien. And that is sort of where I think that uh, DC and Marvel really differ. And perhaps it's because Marvel has spent 10 years building up cast of characters. But I find that DC's heroes are top heavy, right? Like they've got a couple of heavy hitters that outweigh. But once you start going down the roster, it becomes, I find, increasingly difficult to build a project around that character. Now, granted, maybe it's like, had you asked me 10 years ago, can I see about a film about Ant-Man? I maybe would have said, no, that's ridiculous. (laughs) But I just feel like while DC maybe has more iconic top tier heroes, Marvel has the deeper roster. And so that's sort of a problem that I see them facing going forward. But, but you know, if Marvel but, can do it, you can develop B-listers and A-listers with the right vehicle. Well, and that, and also that is sort of like my belief that they don't have a very deep roster of heroes informs the strategy that I'm going to put forth Ooh. once I'm hired. That's interesting. All right. All right. I like that. I like the sound of that. All right. Then now that we've laid out a few things that we want to see, what is a director and project pair or a creative and a project pairing that you want to say? So I, I'm not cheated here, but I have a couple. Um, and now yeah, this, may a couple have, this, this may have been a thing at some point, but I want a Gareth Evans, director of The Raid, for a Nightwing movie or show, Deathstroke movie or show or red hood movie or show any one of those three characters i think would be very well suited to what evans did so well with the raids and frankly he's finally coming to the mainstream he's got a movie with tom hardy coming out on netflix next year but i'm just surprised it's taken him so long and the fact that nobody has handed him the keys to a character like this is mind-blowing to me I think I think he was in talks for Deathstroke at one point. No, I think wasn't it was it? Nightwing. I think it was Nightwing. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I thought Chris McKay was in talks for Oh, yes, for yes, Nightwing. yes. You're right. You're right. You're right. So, all right. So, I want Gareth Evans for either Deathstroke, Nightwing, or Red Hood. I don't really care what format that comes in. I just want that talent paired with those characters. I'd uh, love to see a Red Hood. That would be cool. Edgar Wright for Teen Titans. Oh, yeah. I can see that. I can definitely see that for uh-huh. sure. 
And now here's the big swing. Denis Villeneuve for Crisis on Infinite Earth, which is sort of like, which is- Yes, yes, yes. Why isn't it happening right now? Which is sort of like DC's Infinity War type story, but but I believe a little bit darker. So Denis Villeneuve, you know, when you not necessarily would- assume him in a comic book film but given the scope and scale of it and what he's doing with dune this almost feels like a natural next step for him it's like obviously we already wanted dune to be successful and we have our doubts based on the uphill battle of the box office at the moment and all those things but now i want it to be successful extra so warner brothers is like hey man we really want to bring you into one of our biggest franchises then you can go off and do more original stuff and everything but we just you know if dune's a hit they can be like, listen, we want to pair you. What? Give us one huge comic book movie, and then we'll bankroll your next five originals. Right, yeah. One for us, three for you. Exactly. I like that a lot. I really want to see that. All right, so for my director with a, or, or creative with a, uh, a, a kind of project, my first one, I want to see Sam Esmel, the creator, writer, director of Mr. Robot, Join for a Lex Luthor limited series on HBO Max that chronicles oh, wow that chronicles Lex's industrial rise, which also obviously coincides with Superman's emergence. Now Superman's not going to be a player in it; it's going to be an arm's length removed. But you know he's on the periphery, slowly earworming Lex into this kind of crazed state. You know Lex. I especially thought about this. I don't necessarily want Michael Rosenbaum to come back as Lex, even though he was the best, one of the best Lex, the guy from Smallville. But I think that characterization in which Lex, Lex was an innately actually a good person, but kept being told by everyone around him that he was this piece of shit. And no matter how hard he tried, he would always be this kind of broken and corrupted force and he eventually started to believe it and go in that direction you know a couple things break differently and lex luther is a great man as characterized in smallville i think bringing that idea letting uh sam esmel play with that and this the way he manipulates visuals and and his his aesthetic and and the way he is so deeply cerebral and character focused i think that would be so cool i would love to see that spectacular and then my second project a little bit more of a stretch but i think could be pretty cool another limited series this time for hbo but again limited this is just like an eight episode run the safty brothers making a lois lane conspiracy theory where she is working to expose amanda waller i think wow. that would be cool because sort that is like some a real world boots journalism the spotlight in. the post type tale yes but even more like you know more uh, uh, a Watergate, you know, definitely some corruption, definitely some threats on, on her life as she get, digs yeah. closer to the story, but done in that HBO prestige format. It just so happens to be, oh, superhero IP. Yeah, those are six projects right there that I would love to see, or five, I don't know. Did you say two or three of them? Two, five <laughs> projects that, as far as I'm concerned, sounds cooler than anything that they have in the works right now. Warner Media, you have our contact information. You can feel free to hire us anytime. That you do. And <laughs> while we're on that topic, Netflix, you can contact us as well in case you need someone to screen Blonde and give you their honest thoughts on because <laughs> we will gladly we we will gladly carry that burden. You know, we're here for you guys. Yes. We're pretty selfless. Yep, yep. <laughs> all right, now that we have, you know, characters and projects and all that on the docket, Eric, what is your thesis statement for the future of dc mine's short and sweet really Ooh, my, right, mine's now, long and, and 
extended for no reason other than I to figured hear myself you would. Talk. I I figured you would. That, that's why I kept mine short. Now right. picture me at a podium in front of the whole staff. All right. We have tried and failed at the connected world storytelling, but damn it, we are the studio of Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, and Flash. Forget connecting them all. Let's just tell the best story possible for each of these characters. I don't care if Pattinson's Batman ever hears the word Superman. I don't care if he ever has an idea of what the Justice League is. Let's just make a trilogy that's so fucking good that it forces people to question if it's better than Christopher Nolan's. And let's do that over and over and over again. And then if we succeed, we could worry about throwing them all in one movie. But until then, let's just do justice by these characters. And if we do that, the fans will be happy, we'll have more money, and therefore more trust to tell the stories that we want to tell. I just can't help but imagine you delivering that, but as Wolf of Wall Street in front of the whole Stratton Oakmont company with everyone just losing their mind. I'm not fucking leaving. Yep. Give us more Batman. (laughs) I like it. All right. I like it. I think we have a similar overlap. And ultimately, I agree with a lot of what you said, but here's my unnecessarily, you know, long rant. Now, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is defined by its rah-rah, quiptastic cheerleader tone, and it's intricate, interconnected, episodic storytelling. It's a franchise that views might is right through inherently optimistic and altruistic lens, and its sequential nature keeps everything looking forward. The DCEU, as we know, is more or less launching a soft reboot with The Flash, which will introduce elements of the multiverse. But I do not think the multiverse should be used as a cushion or a pedestal to further differentiate itself from other blockbuster superhero universes and to carve out our own identity, the DCEU should continue to focus on filmmaker-centric standalones that aren't overly connected to other features, even if they take place in the same universe. This will allow for a greater variety of visual aesthetics and tonal properties to make their way to the screen. And by focusing on standalones, it will also make the sparing, it will also make the sparse use of multiverse crossover team-up blockbusters all the more special rather than yet another Avengers imitator of which we've already seen. Now, I also want to see DC continue to comment on the real world and not just the world or not just what the world would be like if superheroes existed in it. You know, you're allowed to direct, draw direct parallels to current events and past history with compelling allegory and symbolism that tangibly links us to this fictitious creation. So if Marvel is all about in-universe emphasis, constantly looking back at its own history and constantly looking at other projects within its purview, DC should lean on it using its mythic characters to comment on the outside world, which the Suicide Squad has done with clear political commentary on US imperialism, foreign policy, and more. That is how we differentiate ourselves. That is how we make ourselves substantial in the minds of audiences, critics, and box office grosses. See? <laughs> See, Warner Bros. It's that easy. <laughs> That's yeah, it. Just, just make it happen, even though we don't have any experience on the studio level at all. Just make it happen. It's easy. That's all it takes. Just spirit. All right. So we've put forth our thesis statement, our our guiding principle, our organizing idea for the future of DC, and we have been hired, Eric. Unsurprisingly, because we're fucking amazing. Now, 
you're, you're on the job. It's your first day. What are three things you are implementing, three new developments or directions or strategies that you are implementing to jumpstart your reign as the new DC president? So step one sort of plays off of what you just said. If the MCU is known for its uniformity, we are going the opposite direction. So just like the Suicide Squad, I am hiring a bunch of talented creatives and trusting their vision. Full stop. Period. The end. Two, I'm making more Batman stuff. Just like Superman, as they seem to be putting forth multiple versions of that character. If we have three Superman, then we should have as many, if not more, Batman portrayals, spinoffs, whatever. This is the most popular, not just comic book character that there is, American creations of all time. I mean, you know, so I would just, Pattinson's Batman, Batman Beyond, a Deathstroke show, uh, the GCPD show, all that shit. Batman, Batman, Batman. Three, I am trying to sign Margot Robbie and her production company who has produced Birds of Prey and Promising Young Woman to a overall deal. Still just 31. I think she's one of the biggest and best stars in the world. And she seems content with us. So I want to reward her for that and give her a little bit more of creative juice. And then finally, and this is sort of just not really a main one, but I am beginning the casting process for the next Joker. Because we are assuming the Batman is going to turn into the Batman 2. And we are assuming eventually you, you don't tell a Batman tale without Joker. And if they get that right, and if that movie is good, and if it could somehow put itself in the same conversation of The Dark Knight, then the DC Films brand will have been officially saved. Off the top of your head, a, a three-name shortlist for the next Joker. Completely top of your head, putting you on the spot. It's really hard. It's really, really hard. So only because you're putting me on the spot, I'm yep. taking the Nightcrawler version of Jake J, just Ooh, because like I'll that. put him in anything. Um, I originally, but just goes to speak to his range. While I wanted him to play Batman, I think he could play Joker too. That's really the only one I've got. I'd really have to think about it. Yeah, I it's, would it's really, hard without a list in front of us of like names. Yeah, I would really have to think about it. I know I've once written a post. I don't mind the Lakeith Stanfield idea. I, I, I was don't. on it until he moderated an anti-Semitic oh, clubhouse. Right, right. All right. Yeah. I, I was I used to be a huge fan and now I'm not not so big on him. And uh and shockingly enough, I would give Jared Leto a second chance if he changed the character entirely. If he came to me with an entirely new uh vision, then maybe him. Oh, that's a bold stroke. And but, I was, but I, and again, like Pattinson's 33, 34. So it, it's you probably want someone a little bit older uh, so he could sort of portray like, like a 27-year-old Joker, even though that's how old Heath was when he played him. But wow. I, I just think that that casting is very important in terms of like, again, assuming the Batman is good, now that franchise is your baby. Like, what do we do next, right? Because if they get that next one right, then it's like, all right, now we're cooking with fucking gas here. And I think a key to that is the right Joker. I can't believe Heath Ledger was younger than us when he turned in. Yeah, he died Joker at 28. That's, that's just terrible. So, uh, yeah, so I'm assuming he was around 27 yeah. when he filmed it, which is just fucking ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, man. I was, it makes me feel inadequate. <laughs> yeah. All right, the first thing I'm doing, I am, and this is what's already happening i would allow james gunn to oversee his own kind of fiefdom within the dceu i don't think he necessarily needs to be dc's kevin feige 
but I think the franchise could absolutely benefit from his guiding vision in many select ways. You know, his sensibility is not applicable to all of the properties, but if you allow him to basically quarterback, you know, one quadrant, you're going to have a lot of success, particularly if they do want to take my up at my idea and go off world. Number two, something that's, I think, even under uh, misunderstood is the proper introduction of multiverses in the comic book cinematic universe offers expanded opportunities for the diversification of superhero, superhero films, you know, letting go of the decades of history on the page that the general public associates with a certain image is difficult because any deviation usually sparks controversy from the faithful. But, you know, the multiverse as shown in Into the Spider-Verse, it enables you to paint a colorful palette in your blockbuster with both colorblind casting and an excuse to flood the market with countless Batman and Superman and what have you. So use it to pave the way to a more organic path to on-screen representation that better reflects the wonderfully varied world we live in today, and just a whole host of crazy shenanigans that you didn't think would necessarily fit within the, un the framework of a mainstream commercial product. Clearly, audiences are wet, ready to get weirder and more eclectic, and we can do that through the multiverse. Yeah. And then number three, don't be afraid to dabble in originality. Yeah, the framework is based on long-running comic books that reach as far back as the 1930s, but you can tell original stories and create new and original characters within that sandbox. You don't have to be so beholden to the page that you sacrificed a modernized, forward-thinking ideal that reflects some of the current events that I was talking about just so you, you know, just so you can kind of pay homage to 80-year-old material. There are still ways that this work can intersect with superheroes or fit within a superhero banner that is pushing the medium and the ideas forward. I mean, famously, Christopher Nolan took the names and faces and crafted his own story. It wasn't direct translation of one comic book. He took a little bit of inspiration from a couple different things and gave us the best superhero trilogy ever of more or less fresh ideas. So that is what I want my filmmakers doing as well. You know, you don't have to do direct adaptations unless it's a fitting example. So those are my three steps that I want to launch my DC presidential pedigree on. Whew. Now, all we need is to get paid for our plans. I know. We put a lot of thought and hard we'll, work into this. And, and we'll be we all good. Yeah, we didn't get a single penny. All right. So that is our DCEU resume game. That was fun. I that enjoyed this fun. one. And it's our one year anniversary one. So no wonder we went a little long. It is. It is. It is. So as Eric said, that is it for our DC resume game, but that is not it for the post-cred pod. We still have so much good content for you guys. We got an interview with what if writer AC Bradley and director Brian Andrews, where they give a lot of fun tidbits about, you know, what ifs place in the MCU, what's coming in the future. Maybe Eric asks a lot of insightful questions. Now, in the meantime, if you have any ideas for future resume games you want us to play, if you have any thoughts or ideas on our stupid thoughts and ideas, any questions, just want to call us morons, you can hit us up at PostCredPod, at Eric Italiano, at Great underscore Catsby. Also, if you're busy doing all that, you might as well just take it one step further and leave us a five-star review. I mean, you're already cruising the internet for more of our stuff. You can just give us five stars. Let us know we're doing a good job. It'll really boost our egos. Please, Come we're on. at yeah. 59 reviews, and it's driving me fucking crazy. I'm trying let's to get, get to 60. Let's get us at 69, man. Also, one, <laughs> that's even better. 
Also, one more thing, B, since it's our one year, I, I just want to say that this has been a blast, pal. There's been ways in which that we haven't hit our goals. For example, I was hoping we'd be at 10,000 followers. I mean, that was a wild fucking hope on my part. I was hoping we'd be at 10,000 followers on Postgred Pod in a year. We are not. We are at 5,700. So if you're not following already, please do. That said, I think the, I, I think the guests that we've had have been fucking incredible i can't really like i gotta put them all down on a list but in terms of our first year i think it's been great and i can't wait for year two buddy thanks man me as well i've had a great time I'm honored to do this with you and uh here's to another growth a uh, year of growth and fun all right y'all so enjoy the chat with the creative team behind what if and we will catch y'all next week until next week right, peace Hey, I love your microphone setup. Oh, thank you. This is pretty much like the cheapest good one that you could buy. So <laughs> <laughs> folks, today I am joined by head writer AC Bradley and director Brian Andrews, two of the creative forces behind Marvel's What If. How are you today, guys? Great. How are you doing? That's good to hear. Thank you for joining us and congrats on the show. I saw the first three episodes and I loved it. And sort of what the multiverse is doing to me and this show is sort of making me think about both the MCU and storytelling in a real macro way. And that's kind of where I want to start with y'all. The MCU has made a habit of breaking ground ever since it began in 2008. How did you go about doing that with this show other than the fact that it is animated and a very multiversal focus story. Well, it's actually funny because there's so much to play with that if you go macro too fast, you're going to end up just rewriting the Avengers every time. You'll end up putting every single character into every single episode. So the way to really start is to try and deconstruct one hero. Take a hero, see who they are, what makes them tick. What The reason that these movies have been so popular and the TV shows now is that we see ourselves in them. We see a reflection of our own humanity. So for a character like say T'Challa, we want to see part of ourselves. And so I wanted to explore his relationship with family. And from there, it kind of goes bigger and wilder and weird with say, um, with Dr. Strange, it's all about loss. It's like, where would loss lead a man? especially a man who has these kind of powers, how far would he go? And then you kind of go big, weird, and wilder. But if you don't start with that little slither of humanity, you've already lost the game because you can have as many explosions and any many cool action sequences as you'd like. But if we don't see ourselves in that hero, we're not going to care. Do you feel like the medium of animation is more or less conducive to that than live action? I think it's just storytelling in general. Right. And this show had to be animated because while I would love for Disney Plus to give me and Brian a billion dollars to make it. (laughs) Same here. We kind of were against it. So nice. I think you do an excellent job. 10 episodes, a billion dollars. So you you bring up wanting to start with these characters' humanity. And that actually leads me into my point about Captain Carter, I know during the press conference, it was confirmed that she's going to appear in following seasons. What about that character made you want, made you guys want to feature her as much as you could? And how does one go about crafting an arc that's intrinsically tied to Steve's incredible arc? How do you go about creating a character story that is equal to, if not greater than that? Well, I didn't really look at Steve's character arc that much. I love Steve Rogers. Steve Rogers is a man who runs on his own moral compass. That's it. Everyone always thinks he's a soldier. 
but he's not. He's actually a really horrible soldier because he never follows rules. He uses what he believes is true as his North Star, and he will go to the ends of the world for that. Peggy's different. She's a woman in the 1940s. She's never been given the opportunity, never been given the chance to kind of stay in the room, to have a voice. So this was us being like, okay, what would the world look like if there was, if the first super soldier was a woman? Well, the world is still the world. So she's not going to be handed a shield and told to go out and lead a bunch of men. She's going to have to fight for that and probably fight harder than even Steve had to. But she's going to be driven by this fact that the serum hasn't so much changed her. It's given her the opportunity to show everyone of what she's capable of. So you see that as a what if story, not just in terms of comic book superheroes, but of society itself. Oh, definitely. That was yeah. really, I was actually surprised for the episode is really all about a woman having to like make her voice heard. I was shocked that Marvel was telling me to go run with it. I didn't have to fight for this. This was, there was no me arguing. It was like, no, no, we want you to go and create the story and put those lines in it. And yeah. there's a scene later on in the episode where she says literally the the outside finally matches the inside. And I feel like for a lot of women, we are still yearning to feel that way. Well, first of all, I could just, I, I, your passion for this story totally translated. So thank you. Great job there. Um, do you think, do you think MCU fans really have any remote clue of what to expect in the next few years? Like I couldn't help but watch this and think, are we heading towards a Roger Rabbit type story where the where where the animated versions of this cat these characters are popping up alongside <laughs> live action? I mean, I I I mean that as a joke, but I don't think that fans really know what to expect. And I want to sort of hear what you guys think about that. I, I don't know if yeah, fans don't know what to expect. I don't even know if we know what to expect because you know Kevin and the team up up above, they've got stuff planned that, that they probably haven't even like even gleaned to us yet. You know. Yeah. Um, I would imagine, like, if anything what popped up, you know, it, it I would. I don't think they're gonna. I, I don't think they would go Roger Rabbit, but I guess I never say never. What if you never know? Hey, why not? But, I uh, mean, like, because this made me think <laughs> that that one of the multiverses will exist as animated. Like that is what their reality is like. So who I knows? We'll man. Yeah, it, it could be crazy. It could be crazy. Um, so uh, I know you guys said during the press conference that some of the unused ideas from season one are going to be used in season two. So I'm not trying to pry here, but I am curious as creatives, this show has to be very much like a, a kid in a candy store when it comes to the types of stories you could tell, but just like a kid in that store, a parent needs to be in the room to make sure you don't OD on sugar. Yes. What were some of the crazier stories that you could reveal that you guys had to be reeled back from? <laughs> it was less about being reeled back in from crazier stories. It was more than being stopped from walking into one of the movies and destroying that. And the other thing was we would jokingly try and put Star Wars characters in and we're always told, no, you can't do that. Those aren't your toys, Ashley. And I, there was a couple of episodes that were like just a little too dark, I feel like. I always just there was a there's an original what if ep um, run, I believe where spider-man turns into a real spider and that was just too dark and too body horror i think for their pg-13 right. and but it was a blast like we like you said yourself we were basically given the keys to the toy store yeah go have fun and just make make sure everything was different don't do give us 10 of the same give us 10 of the most different stories you can come up with mm -hmm. and i hope brian and i have achieved that 
Yeah. That's, that's got to be an extremely freeing feeling. Uh, I've got to wrap here. So I just want to thank you both for your time. And again, say congrats on the show. But real quick, what is your favorite Marvel character, both to appear in the MCU so far and one that we've not yet seen? Wow. <laughs> uh, the ones that appear in the MCU. I mean, I, I was always a fan of Spider-Man when I was younger. But I love me some 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 Black Panther too. So um, you know, I, just seeing, I, I'm excited for for you know Wakanda forever. You know, mm-hmm. I, I cannot wait to see what they're doing with that. Um, it's a shame that we no longer have Chadwick with us, but but Wakanda lives forever. In for sure, for sure. And from what I hear, it may be going underwater as well. So <laughs> I I thank you both for your time and good luck going forward with the future seasons. Thank, thank you. Much. Thank you all. Bye-bye.